All right. Um, so if you're here, you don't, uh, the PowerPoint doesn't work. So you just have to visualize it. You can watch it later if you want. Um, yeah, this is, uh, this is why hybrid is so difficult. But uh, today's sermon is titled Forgotten by Man, Remembered by God. And so our first, let me get the slide going. There you go. Uh, you guys can't see it. How many of you guys have seen or read the book Holes? Oh, you guys have. Okay, good. Oh, Kiara, you haven't seen, read it? <laughs> it's so good. Um, when I was young, my older brother read that book and I was like, oh, does that actually look like a good book? And I read it and I actually really, really enjoyed it. And basically it's about a teenager. Oh, same for you, uh, David. Kenneth read it and you liked it. <laughs> Man. Oh, you watched the movie. Yeah, it's on Disney Plus if you are interested in watching it. But basically, it's a teenager named St uh, Stanley Yelnats. Yelnats is Stanley spelled backwards, if you guys read the book. And this guy named Stanley has the worst luck in the world. Nothing goes right for him and his family. His dad's a failing inventor. He tries to invent a shoe deodorant. And one day, a pair of sneakers falls from the sky and falls on a Stanley. And so the police go to his house. They see a bunch of sneakers. And they're like, all right, this guy is the guy. Um, he stole it. And then he gets sent to a boys' detention center, Camp Greenlake, uh, with Mr. Sir and uh, Mr. Pendansky, if you guys remember uh, these characters. And when he's there, he always denies his innocence. Like, he, he says, like, you know, I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, I'm not supposed to be here. And all the other boys say, come on, like, we know you did something. We know you probably murdered the guy who had the shoes on. Um, but he, in the end, he's still thrown into this detention center. And throughout the movie, he often blames his bad luck on a family curse. Does anyone remember the phrase that he always uses? No. <laughs> he always says, it was all because of my, of, of my no good, dirty, rotten, pig-stealing great-great-grandfather. You guys remember now? Yeah, he, he says that. And if you're curious how Stanley finds redemption, you can just watch the movie yourself on Disney+. Plus. Or read the book. Yeah, read, read the book. I, I don't know how much I can support that. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a good book. Um, but the experience of Stanley's bad luck, it's a small taste of the experience of Joseph. Except the story of Joseph, it's real. It's a historical account. Um, again, Joseph was wrongly accused of doing something wrong, of assaulting Potiphar's wife. Joseph was also thrown into prison and life just get, keeps getting worse and worse and worse for Joseph. Uh, but is Joseph under a family curse? He's not. He's actually the opposite. Joseph's great grandfather, Abraham, is under a, a blessing, a covenant, a promise. And so it kind of begs the question, if Joseph's family the Abrahamic covenant, if he's under this covenant, why are all these bad things happening to their family? And so that's where we're going to jump in uh, this week. If you don't remember what we talked about two weeks ago, um, we were in Genesis chapter 39. That's when uh, the story of Joseph and Potiphar's wife and God, uh, despite him being thrown in prison, God blesses him and he rises in the favor of the prison keeper. And so um, today we're going to pick up from that. And so uh, our preview today, for those online, we're going to, number one, explain the narrative as we usually do. And afterwards, we're going to answer the so what. Why does this um, matter? Why does a story matter in my life? 
And I guess one tip for interpreting a narrative is to read between the lines. What I mean by that is a lot of times narratives, they teach something implicitly, meaning they don't say something outright, such as God is love, but they say it uh, implicitly. They imply it so that they teach a lesson without actually saying anything. It's like if you're in a classroom and there's one group that's goofing off and there's that you know um, teacher's pet who is doing what they're supposed to do. And the teacher says, wow, Sandy, thank you so much for following instructions. Now the implicit message is for the rest of the students to be like Sandy, but the teacher doesn't uh, call out the other students and shame them in front of uh, the other, the whole class. So that's an example of an implicit uh, message. So that's something that's gonna be helpful for us as we uh, jump into today's message. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Genesis chapter 40. Genesis chapter 40. We're gonna pick up with Joseph in prison. Okay, as you guys are getting there, we are going to read verses one to four. So you can either listen along or read along in your Bible. So uh, let's see chapter 40, verses one to four. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. Let's stop there. So I have uh, some pictures that uh, Matthew Young drew. And so I wish you guys could see it, but for those online, you could see this picture, uh, a lot of captions and stick figures. He's the master of stick figures. Um, if you are here in person, you can always log in onto your phone and uh, look at the PowerPoint for yourself if you choose to do so. Uh, so basically here, Joseph is in prison and he earns the favor of the prison keeper who puts Joseph in charge of the other prisoners. And these new prisoners, the, uh, the cupbearer and the baker, will change Joseph's fate. Now, a, a cupbearer and a chief baker, this is a very highly respected position. A cupbearer, their job was to uh, pour wine and serve it to the king. And a baker, it's, you know, it's in charge of the bakery, kind of straightforward. Um, but they're thrown in prison for angering Pharaoh. We, don't, we aren't told what uh, they did, but it must have been something really serious for them to be thrown in prison. This kind of sets up the scene for what happens next. So now let's read verses uh, five to eight. Verse five, and one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had bad dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. And so my next picture, oh, that's another picture by our uh, Matthew Young. Thank you, Matthew. 
our next picture is of uh, the cupbearer and the baker waking up to a nightmare. Now, back then, dreams, they played an important role in the lives of God's people. Uh, there's about 14 or 15 dreams recorded in the Old Testament, and two of them occur in this passage. And in the ancient world, whether you are an Israelite or if you are a pagan, everyone believed that God could communicate, or lowercase g, God can communicate through dreams. And people viewed dreams as really, really important. So the fact that a cupbearer and the baker had a, the same, or not the same, but they both had vivid dreams that night, it was very unique. And sometimes Vanessa and I, when we have dreams, we wake up and we tell each other, um, but we don't often have crazy dreams on the same night. Last year, I actually had a dream. I was on the Lakers in the NBA finals. And I was like in this, for some reason, we were outdoors at an outdoor basketball court. Um, and I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to win. We're going to win. But then the next day, uh, the Lakers lost. Uh, and sometimes Vanessa will just dream like, <laughs> like, oh, I saw my high school friend at like an ice cream shop, something very random. But we don't often have dreams, like vivid dreams on the same night. So the fact that the cupbearer and the baker both have vivid dreams on the same night, it's not just a coincidence. And they are dejected, they're, they're terrified. And you have to ask, well, why is that so scary? Remember, dreams to them are a message from God. And they want to know what the dreams meant. Back then, they would have professional, I guess, interpreters, um, Actually, I heard a counselor told me, like, in their small groups, their small groups would try to interpret each other's dreams during discussion. Uh, <laughs> but there's actually a job for this. And because the cupbearer and the baker are in a prison, they don't have access to the interpreter. So that's why they are, uh, that's why they're scared. They're terrified. So they have a problem. And so Joseph says to them, don't all dreams and interpretations, don't they belong to God? Tell me your dreams. God, my God is able to do it. So we see that Joseph is not confident in his own ability, but he's confident in God's ability to reveal the meaning of the dreams. In last chapter, we saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And so we can rightly assume that Joseph had a confidence and a faith in God that, you know what, I, I don't know how to interpret these dreams, but God can. And if he wanted to, he could uh, tell to me and reveal it to me and I can explain it to uh, the cupbearer and the baker. So the cupbearer is going to tell his dream first. So let's see what the cupbearer's dream is like in verses 9 uh, to 13. Let's read. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its, in, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days and three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. All right, and we have a student submission from Julia Chang uh whoo yes <laughs> so if you guys are seeing on zoom um it's a really good picture you guys should really log in and look at it um but this is yeah i really loved how julia captured um the cup air squeezing the grapes into uh the cup and handing it to pharaoh and so right after hearing this dream joseph by god's power is able to interpret this dream 
And the stream utilizes the, the images that correlate with the cupbearer's role. And I don't even have to explain it because Joseph explains it himself. And I want you to pay attention to this phrase in verse 13. Joseph says, Pharaoh, lift up your head and restore you to your office. Pay attention to that phrase, lift up your head, because that's going to appear two more times, once more with the cupbearer and once more uh, at the final feast. It's going to be uh, a, a repeated phrase. And so this three-part blessing, Pharaoh will lift up your head, restore you to your office, and place Pharaoh's cup in your hand as he used to. This is good. The cupbearer will have, uh, he'll be unfired and reinstated in the cupbearer role. So and after interpreting this dream, Joseph, he asked for a favor in verses 14 and 15. Let's read that. Only remember me when it is well with you. And please do me the kindness to mention, to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. And so after Joseph gives a positive interpretation he basically says, dude, cupbearer, help a brother out. When you are reinstated to Pharaoh, just mention my name to him. Tell him that I'm from, um, I'm not from around here. I was wrongfully sold into prison, uh, thrown into prison, sold into slavery, falsely accused. Just mention my name. Just mention what I did. And that's basically what he asked uh, the cupbearer to do. And so that's what he asked him to do. And so we'll see later on if uh, anything comes of that. And so now the baker is here. He's like, oh, wow, that's a really good interpretation. I wonder if the same fate is going to happen to me. And so now the baker asks Joseph, hey, what? can you interpret my dream? Uh, interpret my dream. And so let's read verses 16 and 19 and see what happens next with the, with the baker. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, you know, I also had a dream. There are three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket, there are all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, get this, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Wow, that's a different play of words on, I will lift up your, he'll lift up your head, but from your body, that is so morbid and dark. Um, and so here's a picture that I drew of the chef or this baker um, and his, uh, and his dreams. And so it's, it's almost hilarious. It's because I'm not actually there. I'd feel horrible if I actually saw uh, I was there, but it's almost the narrator, narrator is so good at building tension. When he says, Pharaoh will also lift up your head. You, as a listener, you're thinking, oh, so he's going to be released as well. But then the next sentence is, lift up your head from you, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. Poor Baker. He sees a positive interpretation, and he takes a shot, asks for interpretation, and uh, he gets the extreme opposites and results. Now, the first dream, you'll notice that the cupbearer is an active participant. He takes the grapes, he squeezes the grapes uh, and the wine into the cup, and he hands it to, to Pharaoh. But in the baker's dream, he's helpless. These three baskets are on his head. He can't reach the birds to shoot them away. He's helpless. He's a passive participant. And so the outcome is that the Pharaoh will be hung on a tree, 
uh, maybe impaled on a stake and possibly uh, decapitated. It's frightful and terrifying. So let's see the final outcome. Let's look at verses 20 to 23. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief baker, chief uh, cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Man, what a friend. <laughs> so another uh, sketch here of uh, Pharaoh um, declaring the fates of uh, the cupbearer and of uh, the baker. Um, and the big day arrives and Joseph's interpretation, it comes true. And jo Pharaoh's birthday, uh, it could either be his actual birthday, but likely it's probably the day that he came to rule. And on that day, it was very festive. Sometimes they released prisoners. And so it, it was an opportunity for the cupbearer to be released. And with such a festive event, he probably realized, oh man, I probably need someone skilled in, in, in pouring wine. Uh, this guy, he was really reliable. Let's reinstate him. And notice again, verse 20, how, um, how impressive this narrator builds tension. He uses the phrase, he lifted up the head of the uh, chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. So you're kind of thinking, oh, so are both of them going to be released? But then in the very next verse, the outcomes are dramatically different. Um, he restores the chief cupbearer and he hangs the chief baker. And as a listener, after Joseph's interpretation is correct, you're wondering, all right, what happens to Joseph? Is the chief cupbearer going to race up to Pharaoh and say, hey, hey, these events were correctly interpreted by this prisoner, this Hebrew prisoner. And he says he is wrongfully put in prison. Can you just take a look at that case and reopen that file? But he doesn't do that. He forgets about him. And we don't know if it's intentional or malicious. And if you're Joseph, you're probably going crazy. It's like, God, where are you? This was my ticket out of here. And I have another sketch of Joseph alone in prison, um, forgotten. And Joseph, I'm not sure if you guys know how long Joseph is left in prison from this point until the next, in the future when he rises to power. But look at uh, chapter 41, verse 1. The very first phrase says, after two whole years. <laughs> that means Joseph is left in prison for two years because this cupbearer, can't mention one thing to Pharaoh, and he's left in prison for two years. All the cupbearer had to do is mention one thing to Pharaoh. And so because he doesn't, Joseph is left in prison. And at this point, uh, in the next chapter says that he's 30 years old when he rises to power. So if it's two years in prison, at this point, he's 28 years old, which is, I guess, around my age. Uh, I am 29, so... Um, now uh, Joseph is no longer 17 years old. Now he's 28 years old. He's been in Egypt for, for a while. And so after all this climactic buildup, it just fizzles out. And again, we're asking the question, God, where are you? Joseph is maybe asking that question. Maybe it's crossed his mind. God, I thought you made a promise to my family. God, didn't you make a covenant to my great-grandfather, Abraham? to be a blessing to the nations? Why? What am I doing here in prison? 
And so as we, uh, as I finish explaining the story, now I want to move into the so what. I just explained the story. I gave some pictures, but if I ended the sermon here, it would just be another story that you've heard growing up. What's the so what? what where is the theological insight? How is this supposed to impact my life? I'll start by explaining the word remember. The Hebrew word for remember is zakar. And it doesn't just mean to remember someone, but it means to remember somebody and to act on their behalf. That was a little nuance of the word remember back then. So you would recall information and you would act upon it. And in today's narrative, the cupbearer, he didn't even remember Joseph and he doesn't even act on his behalf, out of sight and out of mind, as they say. This is a very common human experience. And so the first, I want to explain two things in this theological insight. The first one is that people, they can forget you, like the cupbearer. And maybe during COVID, this feeling of feeling forgotten has been heightened or worsened or, intensi or intensified. Uh, there's an article published by uh, the Scientific American. It's not a Christian website, but it observes and maybe tries to predict what's the impact of COVID on our sense of uh, community, our, our social interactions. And it was kind of observing and uh, kind of speculating that, you know, despite all these vaccinations, there still might be a lot of people who are hesitant to return to their former routines uh, pre-pandemic. People will still be hesitant to gather um, in person at parks. And it'll be difficult. I mean, you, you know, we've all been in this together. It's been a year and almost a half. Uh, we're used to being inside. We're used to doing school indoors. It's going to take a while for us to transition back to how things were in person. And what's more, this article is observing that uh, there might even be some anxiety to actually go out in person again and to interact. And I remember there was a youth gathering last September, and I remember some of the students, some of you guys are saying, yeah, this is the first time I've seen some of you guys in person. I almost didn't know what to say. I forgot, like, oh, we're supposed to say hello. We're supposed to, like, those small cues that you, uh, that naturally come about in these interactions, it was forgotten after a couple months. And we're going to have to relearn that. And that's why I'm so excited that uh, we can meet in person for the 11th and 10th or 11th and 12th graders and the rest of youth 7th to uh, 10th graders your time is coming week after week so sit tight we want you to come back but it's really important to to i believe be in person because our faith it's not something that we can compartmentalize you can't just say all right my faith is going to be just fridays 7 30 to 9 30 on a little computer i'll just set up my my Zoom and I'll kind of be on my side playing uh, Roblox or uh, Fortnite. Uh, that's probably not even a thing anymore. Uh, or just watching the movie. That's not how the Christian faith is supposed to be lived out. It's not just watching something on a computer. It's to be lived out with other people and if possible in person. Now, if you can't show up in person, maybe you have a living with an elderly. I totally understand. We're not here to shame anybody. But if um, if there isn't that, and it's more about being more comfortable at home, then I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to, uh, to push yourself to be in person because the, our faith, it really is more beneficial. We can kind of interact in person in small groups. It is so, I never really got used to being in Zoom small groups and it's like two or three people with their cameras on, but the other seven or eight, their mics are off. It's like, 
oh, are you there? Are you in the bathroom? Like, hey, are you there? Silence. And I feel like, oh man, this, this really hurts. Like, do they hate me? And so being in person, it's, it's necessary if it's possible for you and your family and you're comfortable with that. And so this experience of being forgotten, I believe it's being intensified during COVID. And maybe you feel that as well. Maybe you're in Zoom small groups and uh, maybe no one really interacts with you. And uh, because you don't really feel comfortable with people there, maybe you, you turn off your camera, you, turn off, you mute your, your mics, and maybe you don't really feel like people, anyone cares about you. Maybe you feel forgotten. Maybe this past year, your friends are allowed to go out and hang out at the park, but maybe your family or parents are more, uh, more careful. They don't want you to go out. And you see your friends post pictures on social media, and maybe you feel left out. Maybe you feel forgotten. Um, maybe you were invited to maybe a friend's hangout or a birthday party, and you thought you were close to this friend, and, and you feel forgotten. Or maybe your parents promised to do something for you, and they forgot and you felt like they dropped the ball. Um, maybe you even feel forgotten in your own family. So this experience of feeling, I guess, invisible, it's a very common human experience, and it's what Joseph is experiencing now. People, even Christians, even myself, we're not perfect. And people could forget you, but not so with God. God will not forget us. God remembers his people. So the second and final theological insight is that God will always remember his people. God will always remember his people. In today's narrative, you probably really didn't see that. If you were to reread the narrative, you wouldn't really see God intervened and remembered his people. Remember what I said in the beginning, it might be something implicit. You have to um, step back and look at the bigger picture. But I want to point out something. Remember where James come from. Remember when the cupbearer and the baker said to Joseph, share their dreams, and Joseph said, don't all dreams belong to God? And if that's true, then God sent those dreams to the cupbearer and to the baker. That was God's doing. Because he knew that this cupbearer, somewhere down the line, needed to know that Joseph was someone who could interpret dreams so that when Pharaoh down the line has another vivid nightmare, they can call in Joseph. Now, God could have just sent an army of angels and busted um, Joseph out of prison and transported his family, uh, Abraham and his good-for-nothing brothers, to Egypt and provide for them. God could have done that. He can do anything, but he doesn't work that way. He doesn't act that way. And God has his own way of working with things. And so God remembers his people. Even earlier in Genesis, uh, even the story of Noah, when Noah was on the ark with his family and animals for uh, 40 days and 40 nights, and when the waters were still on the earth 150 days, Genesis 8.1 says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that are with them in the ark. Joseph's own mother, Rachel, she couldn't get pregnant for a long time while her sister Leah was able to bear children. And she was miserable, Rachel was. But Genesis 30, 22 says, then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. Even later, fast forward after Joseph's family is in Egypt and um, 
Ironically, they're enslaved again by Pharaoh. In Exodus 23, um, to chapter 2, 23, when the Israelites are groaning, it says that their cry for rescue came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So you could say that God remembered and he acted on their behalf. Now, some of you might be wondering, but what if God changes his mind? How do I know God will remember me? I mean, isn't there a lot of people on earth? There's at least six or seven billion people on earth. And throughout all of history, I'm just one person. Does God really care about me? You know, just as God made a covenant with Abraham's family, extending to Joseph, so God has made a covenant with his people today. It's called the new covenant which is bought with the blood of Jesus. Because you see, God remembers his people. He doesn't forget or forsake his people. But there is, there is one exception in history. There is one moment where God intentionally forgot one person. When some, somebody was crying out for help and God chose not to intervene. That person was Jesus. Thousands of years later, from the family of Abraham springs forth a man, Jesus, fully God, fully man, on a mission to usher in the God's kingdom and bring about the gospel. But he knew that he would have to go through the death on the cross. As Jesus is hanging there on the cross, dying and bleeding to death, he cries out to God, his father, in Matthew 27, 46. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. And if I could add, why have you forgotten me? God, why do you choose not to act on my behalf? It's not that God the Father forgot who Jesus was, but God the Father chose not to act on his behalf. God forsook his own son on the cross. He forgot and left his own son on the cross to die a criminal's death. Why? So that his death could pay for our sins. Jesus was a sin offering when it really should have been us on the cross dying for our sins. So Jesus was forsaken and forgotten by God so that you and I would never have to be forgotten by God. This is the new covenants because God has forget, forsaken Jesus and secured salvation. He will never forsake you. Three days later, spoiler alert, when Jesus rises from the dead, he ascends into heaven. But before he does, he gives the great commission. And he makes a promise. He says, as you obey the great commission, Jesus says, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. God remembers his people. So I think the question is, do you remember or believe that God is like this? Do you trust that God will remember you? Maybe for some of you, COVID this past year and a half has been an incredibly difficult. And maybe you yourself have wondered, God, where are you? There's so much pain in my life. I don't know if anybody cares. God, where are you? In this story, we see God working. Maybe not in an obvious way, maybe not in a specific way, but God is still working. He sends those two dreams. And that kind of tells us how God works in today's day and age. 
God has his own timing and he has his own way. As your pastor, I, I love you guys. Seniors, you only have three months left, May, June, July. And then you guys are in college. <laughs> a sigh of relief or a sigh of, I'm not sure. <laughs> yes. And you're, as your pastor and your counselors, we're entrusted to impart the gospel to you guys. The good news that Jesus died for you for your sins and those who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved and will be remembered and will never be forgotten. So let me ask you, you might have grown up in church, but have you truly trusted and believed in the gospel? If you say yes, does your life reflect that? And that's the biggest question you could ever answer in your life. My big idea for today is this. In the darkest times, remember that God always remembers his people and acts in his timing and in his way. In the darkest times, remember that God always remembers his people and acts in his timing and in his way. You know, we're really forgetful. I forgot what I even preached last two weeks ago. I had to like reread my notes. I probably forgot what I ate last night. We're just forgetful people. And I think God knows that. And as much as we say we know the Bible stories, we really have to remember the simple things that God remembers his people. And so today, Joseph hits rock bottom. Next week, we're going to see that when all hope is lost, God's going to keep his promise. God's going to remember his people. And God's going to orchestrate a plan of redemption for the Abrahamic family and ultimately to all of mankind. So we're going to see that next week. For now, let me pray, and we'll break into small groups. Lord, I thank you for uh, just your word. It is true. This is not just a children's story. Um, it is historically accurate. The same God who acted back then, thousands of years ago, is the same God right now here among us and you remember your people lord help us to remember this truth and to know that you act on our behalf so lord bless our small group times and help us to have fruitful conversations in jesus name we pray amen